Welcome to Pastor Potluck. This is Court Green. I am here with Peter Constantin. Hello. We introduced ourselves last time. There's a lot going on. A lot has happened in just one week. And so we are going to talk about some of the things that have happened that maybe we hope don't happen or maybe we hope do happen. Um, it's It's been a very, very volatile couple of days. And so if you're like me, one of the things you do is that and maybe we could have a segment on this. One of the things that you do is that you run to certain sources. And I hope that one of them, at least, could be some religious source, be it the Bible or your pastor or something like that. So we are going to jump off with the Bible because, as you'll know from last week, we, we want to make the lectionary reading, or at least a reading from it, a big part of this audio experience and so do you you want to read yeah, i'll read i'll read from uh this passage this is a uh, ezekiel chapter 18 verses 1 through 4 and if you are um still familiarizing yourself with the lectionary uh, we have a uh, first old testament readings and we have uh, alternate old testament readings and uh, so th- oftentimes There'll be about six readings in the Revised Common Lectionary appointed for any given Sunday. But some traditions may focus more on the first readings, and some may focus more on the alternate readings. And we can explain that detail real quick later. I just want to make uh, any potential listener uh, feel um, less like a rookie, because I have been using the lectionary for, oh my goodness, 15 years yeah. I had no idea about alternate readings, et cetera, et cetera. That's how we landed on this reading, because yeah. I was not aware enough to know that you're not supposed to read it, and therefore, I read it. So, yeah. don't feel like you have to be a a lectionary aficionado yeah. to understand it. You may not even know what the lectionary is, and that's okay. Go ahead, Peter. Well, I, in, in by way of disclaimers, I also want to say that we are going to talk today about the uh, grand jury decision... Um, related to the killing of Breonna Taylor. And so if that's not something that you're ready to process right now, um, you may want to tune back in later. We hope that you'll come along with us as we try to process this in light of um, the scripture that we have before us today. And we, It is a journey and we are all on it together. So welcome. We hope that you will stick with us. And here, let's listen now for the word of the Lord from Exodus Sorry, from Ezekiel, chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. The Lord's word came to me. What do you mean by this proverb of yours yours about the land of Israel? When parents eat unripe grapes, the children's teeth suffer. Or another translation reads, The parents have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. As surely as I live, says the Lord, no longer will you use this proverb in Israel. All lives are mine. The life of the parents and the life of the child belong to me. Only the one who sins will die. The word of the Lord. We're the people of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as you were reading this, something stood out to me that we have not talked about before but i think it's something that'll stand out to any general listener no matter what their political stripes 
or essentially anyone who's been paying attention at all in the last few years. Hit me with it. I'm going to hit you with it. It's that last verse that you read. Know that all lives are mine. The lives of the parent as well as the life of the child is mine. The only person who sin who sins, only the person who sins that shall die. If you hear that, yeah. all lives are mine, and you are aware of events that have gone on in the last couple years, mm-hmm. what comes to mind? All lives matter. All lives matter. Yeah. I think, and, and that maybe that should, hmm. but... And I will clarify right now that yes, they do. Mm. Having said that, if you read the rest of the verse, all lives are mine, it then pinpoints, specifies, yes, differences. Mm. All lives are mine, says the Lord. The life of the parent is the Lord. Mm -hmm. So is the life of the child. Mm -hmm. So it's not... A lot of people want to sweep issues away instead of dealing with them yeah. by simply issuing a blanket statement that all lives matter. And of course they do. Hmm. But. Well, it's a matter of, of, of who's saying it and how we say it. It's, so It's more than that. It's a matter of whose life is in jeopardy at the time. Yeah. And, and whose life should be the focus at the time. Because it said, this verse says... And again, we have not talked about talking about this verse with you today. Yeah. But this verse says, all lives are the Lord's. Hmm. Uh, and then immediately focuses on specific lives yeah. that are in one state or another. Right. So to say all these lives matter as a way of not talking about the life that's in jeopardy at the moment or right. under threat. Yeah. Or in need of help. Do you have a sense of whose life is in jeopardy in this passage? Let's talk about the Bible first. Um, it, the kids. The kids' lives. It says the children's teeth are on edge. What yes. does that mean to you, that phrase, the children's teeth are so on edge? So the phrase goes back away, and it's, it's, it's used in several of the contemporaries of Ezekiel in, in their stories. Mm-hmm. But Jeremiah it comes from the understanding in the Pentateuch that God might punish down successive generations. What's the Pentateuch? The Pentateuch is the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers. I didn't Mm -hmm. get them in order, but I got them. Um, Anyway, so it's this idea that punishment for one person's sins goes down generational lines. And so Mm -hmm. if, if my dad's name is Paul Green, if he did something awful enough, then those sins and the punishments therefrom might be repeated down generational lines. And I don't think that this is an idea that God said, hey, I just really hate people so much that I'm going to punish them forever. Mm. I think instead it is pointing out a natural thing that happens. Uh And it happens over and over again. I will say that... So how does this get misused? Hold on, let me get to the to okay. the what I think about it first, and then we'll okay. talk about misuse. So how 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 should it? Pro- I guess you're going to answer how should it properly be interpreted versus. In my opinion, and yeah. I, don't look for anything proper from me because I don't have the answers for everything. But in my opinion, we we tend to see cyclical issues. Um, you you'll have someone quote unquote from a good family, yeah. which generally means that they 
are polished and they have money and they pass those things off off to their kids and then they are successful and they pass those to their kids and they're successful and the opposite is true mm-hmm. you have others who are quote unquote from a bad family and they have hardships mm-hmm. and they pass these struggles down to their family uh, down there to the next generation who they then have struggles and yeah. a lot of times we talk about breaking the cycle right and that and that's where you see this at play in our in our lives because uh, one person, may have had issues and then they're the next generations have issues as well right so um, we talk about today we talk about generational poverty or we talk about generational trauma mm-hmm. and these things are real and we can't uh, ignore them and yet at the same time this this passage of scripture or this phrase um, that that comes out of the Pentateuch as you said this idea that the sins of the fathers are visited upon or the seventh generation, yeah, or the seventh generation. Yeah, the one that says third as well. Third or seven, yeah. So that also gets misused and misinterpreted. And I think that today's scripture actually provides a a helpful counter narrative to that. But first, like, how does this get misinterpreted? Well, a lot misused? of times, a lot of times it gets misused in this understanding in practical life that they should. That mm. the, Instead of, let's see, what does it say again? Um, verse two, the parents, the children's teeth are set on edge, and, and a lot of people think they should be set mm. on edge um, because of what their parents because did. of what their parents did. Mm. But I think the the ministry of Jesus, especially when you see the disciples saying, "Well, who sinned so that this person was born blind, yeah. him or the parents? Right. Did he sin while he was in utero? Come on." Right. Um, Jesus' answer to that question, none of them. Right. And and as well as his ministry where he just didn't care. Right. Uh, he just wanted to heal people. Yeah. Kind of showed that God's will is for this not to be interpreted that way. They that should be set on edge. Right. Not interpreted as God's will, but more of an explanation of how things how are. How things have happened. Yeah. In this fallen world that we live in. Correct. At least that's how I think. But the, the misinterpretation, the damage is done in the in the phrase should. So my question is, how do we hmm. take God's words here, yeah. no longer shall it be said, how do we make that true in mm-hmm. our world? Mm-hmm. How do we break those cycles? And I think this is a good time to shift over to the news of the indictment or lack of indictments in the... Brianna Taylor um, grand jury because it's the the news came out last night. Yeah, give us a sense we of what happened. Had, we all had our reactions. And for those who aren't aware, then I'll give a basic and very brief and very, very, very basic rundown. Mm-hmm. So in the Louisville, Kentucky area, mm-hmm. there was a, a raid on an apartment. And it all started because of, of a, a drug uh, enforcement issue. And we can talk about drug laws, but we're not going to do it today. Uh, unless Peter decides he wants to, and I guess we can. Anyway, there was some targeting of uh, enforcement areas, and they were targeting this specific neighborhood and, uh, and heavily enforcing, and that was their new way of addressing uh, 
the drug violations. The, the drug violations, and that somehow um, Brianna Taylor's apartment was settled upon as yes. uh, a possible. And there's a rumor out there that, that they went to the wrong apartment, but that's not true according to the wa- warrant. Hmm. Anyway, so uh, someone with that had lived there at some point yeah. was the target of this thing. And there exists in that area, and I don't know if they're all over the country, but I know that, that some places have them, that this thing called a no-knock warrant, mm-hmm. which is essentially means that if they have a warrant, you don't know that they have a warrant, but if they have a warrant... The police can come in to enforce whatever law they think they need to enforce whenever, which is, we'll talk about that in a little okay. bit. Okay, well, so that's confusing to me because um, if someone comes into my house and I'm, you know, I'm armed, and don't I have a right to uh, protect myself from intruders? One would think so. And how would I know that they were police if they didn't say so? Precisely. So that is exactly what Miss Taylor's boyfriend did. And shots were exchanged, and in the in the middle of that, she ends up being killed. Hmm. And that happened a while back, but the, the grand jury for the officers who were involved with that just ha- came back with their results last night. And so... The results were that no one was indicted for her death. There was one person indicted for endangering the lives of one of the neighbors, and that was the indictment. All of that said... Yeah, Officer Brett Hankinson uh, was charged with wanton endangerment. Mm -hmm. And according to the accounts that I um, listened to... um, Basically, this is the officer, I think, who went outside the apartment and started shooting into the window of the apartment, and the shades were drawn, so he was just shooting at random, and those those bullets went through the wall and into the neighbor's uh, apartment, uh, who uh, was a, a pregnant woman, and her child were there. Luckily, they weren't hit, but uh, those bullets... Um, I'm not sure if those were the bullets that actually killed Breonna Taylor, but the, the, the point is that he, he fired his, his weapon without any specific target and um, kind of without any concern for the value of human life. Be that as may. I mean, I, I'm not arguing. I, I have no re- reason to say that's not true or that it is, because mm. I didn't know about that until you just told me. Mm-hmm. Having said that, the fact is, no one was indicted for anything having to do with Ms. Taylor's death. Right. And that's got some people upset. Yeah. And the reason that we... The reason that Ezekiel's words resonated with me so much is that in looking at this, I have this, this situation with the indictment or lack thereof, I have gone emotionally and as far as my thought processing kind of all over the place because I look at this as a systemic failure mm-hmm. and I see that the first thing I do in any, in any jury result is I put mm-hmm. myself in the p- position of one of the jurors mm-hmm. and a juror's job is not to say this is how I feel about this situation mm-hmm. a juror's job is to look at number one the facts and number two, the law, and to see how the facts and the law play out hmm. 
and you're not supposed to be influenced by anything mm. else. And if I am on trial, I want that because mm. I don't want so, I, I don't want someone to think, well, this guy's last name is Green, and you know, I had a teacher in sixth grade named named Mrs. Green, and she was really mean to me, and he's guilty. Mm. So I don't want any any emotion. So if you put yourself in the grand jury's position, given the fact that in the state of Kentucky, these no-knock warrants are legal, I can see why they would say, well, they they were doing what they were allowed to do and someone shot at them. Mm-hmm. I can also see, because it would happen probably at my house, mm. that if someone comes is trying to bust into my house, and I don't know who they are, mm-hmm. shooting at them. Now, I'm a pacifist, but... I don't know that my wife is. Anyway, <laughs> I, haven't had to, <laughs> I haven't had to find out, thank God. Anyway, um, so I can see both sides of it, but the jury's not supposed to see both sides of it. Well, and so this this brings us to this concept of, like, laws can be, you know, something can be legal but not right. Correct. And that, that brings me back to Ezekiel because... My problem is not necessarily with the police officer. I do not love what they did, mm. but my problem is with the law. Mm. And it's a law that we were handed by whomever decided it was a good idea in the past. Mm-hmm. The parents sinned. Mm. And now, this happens. Right. Are our teeth set on edge? Right. This well, and anybody ha- looking at that law and saying, "Okay, there's this op- this this option that police have for no knock warrants," and uh, and they're going to be enforcing it, and you know, it could be my family next. Yeah. Um, so that that is what sets our teeth on edge is when we know that the laws are not right, um, and we know that there's no protection for us. Correct. And Peter and I discussed this before the show. Is it right for us to, who knows what we are genetically, who knows what any of us are genetically, but is it right for two people who look pretty white to, to discuss this? Mm. And when it comes to the law, maybe the enforcement of it had to do with race, but a no-not warrant is a no-not warrant. And so we feel like we're in the, in the clear discussing this because while... There is race in, involved in what's going on today, um, and the social reaction. This could happen to anyone. It doesn't matter what race you are. Yeah. You know. Well, and and I want to say, you know, um, it it is easier per- perhaps for us to imagine ourselves as white men on such a jury, um, and you can go and do your own research on this, but. Um, uh, jury selection is uh, far from an unbiased process, and it, it ends up being uh, people who look like us and who have white passing privilege who make up um, the overwhelming majority of most juries. And that's another issue that needs to be resolved in this country, and another reason why the children have their teeth set on edge um, at this current moment. Specifically, I'm, th- I'm thinking. Uh, the, the children of uh, formerly enslaved peoples because, uh, because there's, there's, there are many ways and we've highlighted two of them now uh, in which uh, 
protect equal protection under the law is not such a sure thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but there's other reasons why we felt like th- we needed to address this today. Uh, and I want to talk about um, another event that has uh, complicated this whole issue, and that is the, that two police officers were shot last night in Louisville mm-hmm. um, in, uh, the, in the, as people responded in anger and rage to the, to the news about this lack of um, accountability, some people would say, for the police officers involved. Two police officers were shot. We don't know the details. We don't know what happened, who was involved. Uh, the FBI is investigating now. Right. But uh, from a pastoral perspective, since this is called, this is Pastor Potluck, and, and you know, we do this out of, a, as an expression of our, of our, you know, our occupation and our concern for communities, what we're seeing in this moment is two forms of human justice being played out. We have the legal system with all of the complications and the inconsistencies and perhaps the biases that are baked into that and handed down to us. Mm-hmm. Um, coming up with one form of resolution, which is unsatisfying, completely dissatisfying to many people. Uh, and then you've got uh, this sort of vigilante justice that's happening in the streets uh, where where violence is used to uh, to respond and to try to settle the score um, th- through through the use of, of, of violence and, and weapons so in both of these cases though is it do, do either of these I mean if we're being honest with ourselves do either of these forms of justice really get us to where we want to be as a country or as a community or as uh, a uh, even if if we assume that many people here have some sort of religious persuasion, do we do we is this is this the destination? Is this where we want to be headed? Does this bring us any closer to the goals that we have as a as Christian community? Pastorally, I'm going to address that last question by turning back to Ezekiel because I want you to realize, listener and myself and Peter, that. This is the word of the Lord coming to Ezekiel. Listen for the desire of God. Verses 2 through 4. What do you mean by repeating the proverb concerning the land of Israel? The parents have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. Pause. I realize that we have been mostly talking today about examples of why this proverb is true playing out in life. Hmm. Because people did one thing, it yielded that result that passes down for generations. We are now reaping the, well, our teeth are set on edge. Getting back to verse 3 and following. As I live, says the Lord God, this proverb shall no more be used by you in Israel. Know that all lives are mine. The life of the parent as well as the life of the child is mine. It is is only the person who sins that shall die. What is the desire of the Lord? Hmm. For that to no longer be true. Yeah. So as we think of what we want to be the case pastorally, as we think of how to teach our churches or to to minister to people around us, to bring healing, the best way to do it is not to repeat what we've done over and over and over again because look what it's given us. Mm -hmm. 
Well, that's do I have one simple answer? Lord no. Mm-hmm. But yeah. you were reading something to me earlier, and you may want to revisit it. But it seems like the gut reaction mm-hmm. is to say, out of emotion and anger, to say or do something that is going to inflict harm to those you see have slighted you. Yeah. That's natural. God is saying, no. Hmm. It may be natural, fight it. Hmm. It may be natural, but I expect better. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Peter. Yeah, so, I mean, this is difficult, though, um, to try to live differently, to try to, to create a society or a community that does not end up falling into this this cycle that we see in which the the sins of the of the fathers are visited upon the sons um, as we read in in um, in the Pentateuch it's difficult to upset that we have to it's a total t- cultural change and tied up in in that is this honor that we give to those people who set forth the laws um, and uh, as I was listening about this case, you know, the cynic in me uh, was not surprised Mm. to hear the result of the grand jury. I was disappointed, but I wasn't surprised because like you said, there are certain laws that are there on the books and according to those laws, what the officers did was not illegal. Mm -hmm. So to even if even if they were indicted for a charge of murder, it wouldn't hold up. Not in court, correct. Yeah. Which is which is infuriating, right? Because even if you give an indictment uh, to the family, you indict the officers on murder, they're not going to be found guilty. Yeah, they're yeah. not going to be found guilty. Yeah. So um, the words that came to mind were from an essay that Audrey Lord wrote on. Um, on reflecting on a conference that she attended. And this, I want to say that this quote is out of context, uh, but her words, I thought, rang true in this moment. And that is to say that the, uh, the title of the essay and one concept that she entertains is this, that the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. And you can, um, I think you can think about this real-world example in a variety of ways. Well, who's, who's the master and what are the tools? So, for example, we talked about two different ways that people are seeking justice in this moment. One is through our, um, our judicial system, uh, a system that was constructed uh, by, you know, our founding fathers and has been built upon by successive generations, and we should say mostly by white men who have held power, um, not entirely. And, and so this is the house that has been constructed, and the tools are the legal, uh, are the legal system that we have in place mm-hmm. to, to try to dismantle that. And it's not going to work, is what she's saying, no. or, or what this quote tells me anyway. And uh, the, other part, the other kind of justice that we've seen is this uh, uh, vigilante justice, uh, this violence, um, the tool there is, of course, weapons. Uh, but, the, but the house that we're living in is one in which uh, we're committing acts of violence against one another. So how is a tool that is violent and uh, uh, being used in a violent way? Or even violence as the tool. 
Yeah, how is that going to dismantle the house that we're living in, in which people are dying? So as you read that, I had a thought, and maybe it's a little bit lighter than what we've been talking about so far, I don't know. But if, I was thinking about my basement, mm-hmm. I've got tools everywhere. Yeah. I am not going to pick up any of those tools and intentionally destroy my own house. Mm-hmm. But every now and then, hmm. this little seven-year-old will go down there, mm-hmm. and he'll grab a tool. Mm-hmm. And if it makes it upstairs, hmm. something in my house is going to be destroyed. Mm-hmm. I've seen those photos. I don't know if you've seen those photos of kids doing bad things. Um, and there's one kid that's got a, a hammer, and... Uh, He's smashed up all the tiles yeah. in the kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they're so proud of themselves. Right? Yeah, yeah. Look what I did. And then they get yelled at and we crush their spirits. But anyway, yeah. so no, I'm not going to take my tools and, and destroy my own house. Mm. But Gideon might. Mm. So perhaps the answer to all of this is to stop trying to be the master mm. And to stop limiting ourselves to the tools that we've always used. Mm-hmm. To stop trying to be our parents and, and, and take what they've handed us and think, well, we're stuck with it. Mm-hmm. And instead, to be Gideon with a hammer mm-hmm. or a chainsaw, which I, I don't let my when kids play Gideon, with. When you say Gideon, are you talking about the he's, Bible he's, character? He, no, or? he's the seven-year-old in my house You're tearing it up with some tools. Okay, gotcha. So, Instead, I probably should have said that. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a son named Gideon. He's yeah, seven. got it. Now so, we're, all, we're all paging through the Bible to figure out what he's talking about. So, no, okay. when, did, when did they put a chainsaw in the book of uh, Judges? Yeah. Anyway, so perhaps we need to look for the kid with the hammer. We, hmm. need, we, need to, we need to maybe even try to be the kid with the hammer. Because no, the master's not going to tear his own house. But what can we do to... Let's not say tear down. Let's say renovate hmm. the house. Yeah. What can we do differently? Yeah. To Because I know what that tool is supposed to do. Yeah. I know you're not supposed to bash the tiles with it. Hmm. He might not. Yeah. What can we do differently that we haven't been trying before and repeating over and over again that instead of creating division and maybe it feels good for a while, hmm. but then but then we go back to our corners and and push ourselves into these and solidify our decisions uh, and 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 just essentially guarantee that our kids teeth will be set on, set on edge because we're just going to get um, married to our ideas and keep doing them yeah what can we find different well um, you know to me what would be helpful is like to just talk about a real world example here that might help help us um, uh, understand that the kind of the slurry of metaphors that we're wrapped up in here. Uh, at least three active right now. Yeah. yeah. So, so we're talking about um, our legal system. We're talking about its faults and failures, the biases, the um, inconsistencies, the, um, the 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 ways that it that it is uh, um, enacted and enforced in different ways in different places. Uh, among different groups of people, and yeah, we're, we we got some problems. Mm-hmm. We got we got to do something, and um, you know, what I see is that this is a really difficult issue for us to address as a as a nation because 
um, we have a lot of reverence for where our laws come from. Mm -hmm. That is to say the founding fathers. Uh, and it's hard for us to, um, to even entertain the idea that, you know, we should look at that differently. Uh, and when I say us, I'm talking about white people in America mm -hmm. for the most part. Um, and uh, so to me, the, the, a way to explain this is just to talk out of my own experience. Um, on my father's side, we are, uh, I'm a fourth generation uh, refugee uh, from, from Armenia or from uh, Asia Minor, um, Istanbul and other cities in modern day Turkey. Uh, and, and about a um, hundred years ago, uh, a little bit more than a hundred years ago, there was a, a genocide that took place there. And um, that, that violence was sort of the prelude to the formation of the state of Tur the modern state of Turkey. So since that time, and you'll hear this on the, on the Congress floor every year because there's Armenians living in the U.S. that make sure that their congressman brings it up our congressperson brings it up, um, the U.S. and neither U.S. nor Turkey has been able to acknowledge the reality of what happened. And my, uh, my theory is that the reason why it is difficult for Turkey as a nation to talk about uh, the Armenian genocide is because it's so closely tied with their founding fathers, with Ataturk and with other uh, members of the, of the kind of the initial thinkers that led to the foundation of the Turkish state. Um, and, and because that, that wound is so close to their founding fathers, folks are very uh, hesitant to talk about it because it means implicating their founding fathers in something that nobody really wants to acknowledge, um, a, a wrong that hasn't been righted in mm -hmm. any way. We're dealing with that in America, too. Um, with the original sin of this continent, which is racism. Mm -hmm. There's racial um, oppression, the enslavement of African people, the genocide of Native Americans, all of these things in which a racial hierarchy allowed white folks to feel superior to each to other people, um, even to the point of thinking that, they, that, the, that other people groups are not human. Um, was baked in to some extent, and we can argue about the specifics, was baked in to some extent in our legal code. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Founding Fathers, when they wrote, um, you know, the famous words that, uh, that all people are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, among them are uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, they knew, and many of them were slave owners themselves, that the words that they were using when they said, all men, didn't they were not applying that to all men it did not define that certain men as a part of all men yes right yeah. so they were already f uh, at least on some level familiar I mean this involved their own families mm -hmm. you know their own children uh, that 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 the words that they and the ideals that they were projecting they had not yet achieved but it's hard for us to look back and say well they didn't get it right, so we got to try again. Um, and, but I think at moments like this, we see what happens when we don't do that work. And I think what, if I'm reading Ezekiel, what we're being invited into, especially as Christian people, especially as people of faith, 
is to try to, instead of getting caught up in our own, um, uh, per, in our own like way of seeing the world, our own worldview, our own, um, you know, defensiveness, is to try to see what is the future that God wants us to be moving towards. And I think that if we, especially if we look at Ezekiel, I think that where we can find God's will is to view it like this. Okay, that was their sin. Mm. What are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Because they're different. Yeah. What are you going to do? What are you going to do to address now what their sin enabled now? Mm-hmm. And how are you going to make the, the future better? Yeah. And I think that's what God expects of all of us. Yeah. I mean, the the vision that I understand here, I see echoes of it elsewhere in the in the Bible. You know, God is questioning the prophet Ezekiel. Why do you say this? Mm-hmm. Why do you say that the parents ate sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge? In a way, questioning, why are you just okay with the kind of generational uh, poverty and generational trauma that continues to be perpetuated around you? Because I'm not okay with that. Yeah, And God is saying... As surely as I live, says the Lord God, no longer will you use this proverb in the land of Israel. In other words, it's not acceptable for me for me to for you to just write this off as this is the way it's always been. I don't want to hear it, says God. Yeah. Instead, God says, all lives are mine. The life of life of the parents and the life of the child belong to me, and only the one who sins will die. In other words, I'm I'm not the one who's enacting this punishment on generations to come because of what happened before. That's something that y'all are doing to yourselves. And I have a better vision. So what is that vision? To me, I see echoes of this throughout scripture. Mm-hmm. It's this idea that we call the beloved community or we call the new heaven and the new earth. If you look at Revelation 21, it's a community in which all nations all tribes, all languages are represented. You have no more violence. You have a place where all people are welcomed in. The whole earth is renewed. Mm-hmm. That is God's vision of community. That is God's vision of heaven. And heaven is to come to earth. And we are supposed to be part of that work. And that can be, that can be our vision as well. It can we be. We must start working towards it. So how do we do that? How do we set aside these other versions of justice that we've been handed, realizing that they're not getting us any closer to where we're supposed to be heading as, as people, as children of God? And how do we instead do something that pursues that goal that God has set out for us in Scripture? I think we're not going to get much further than the first step today. Hmm. But I think that the Scripture from today gives us the first step. What's that? So to take the first step, we have to stop looking back and assuming that that is something that defines the future. Mm-hmm. And instead, we need to embrace the fact that God has called us to be better now. Mm-hmm. So to take that first step, we just got to stop looking back. Mm-hmm. It's not to say that we can't learn from our past. It's that the past does not define our futures anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we have to look back in a sense to figure out how 
um, how our forefathers messed up. And if you think that that's somehow like uh, offensive, take a look at scripture. I mean, I think one of the great gifts about the, uh, the Hebrew Bible is that every single patriarch has some kind of er- error, some mm-hmm. kind of mistake, some kind of pride or, 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 or murder or sin. Some kind, I mean, they're all fallible. Mm-hmm. And actually, it's a great gift that that history is preserved for us because it allows us to reevaluate in the moment, okay, how is God asking us to live better? And we need to ask the same questions about ourselves in, uh, in the society of this country today. Let's look back and, and be honest and admit where the mistakes have been that have led to the, to the violence and the, and the division that we see amongst us today. And let's acknowledge that that's not the future that God wants for, for us as people. Um, and take the first step to, to figure out what it will take to be that beloved community where all people are welcome in where there's no more violence and the whole earth is renewed what will it take in order for no one to feel afraid of who's knocking at the door at night what what will it take for people who uh, who are in danger to not be afraid to call the police if they need help Mm -hmm. because of fear of how that might make things worse what will it take you know, for, for families to be able to uh, live in harmony and community with one another. Um, we need to start thinking about that. And we need, I think, as, as Christian people, that is our calling. Anything else? That's it for me. I am going to take a, a shift. Uh, I have certainly enjoyed... In discussing, I don't love the fact that I have to that we that anyone has to discuss these things, mm-hmm. but I think they need to be discussed, and mm-hmm. I've certainly enjoyed discussing them with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to do a quick summary, mm. and that is to remind you that number one, we can find a lot of good stuff in the Bible. Um, mm. You can't you can't do a concordant search of you know uh, Louisville, Kentucky to find out what to do with with these matters. But the Bible certainly instructs us. And so I'm going to encourage everyone to go to to the the good book, quote-unquote, and to spend some time in it so that we can be informed. Because life hits us hard. Hmm. None of us expected to, I mean, maybe you did, but I certainly didn't expect the news I got last night when I was watching the news. And um, certainly didn't know what the reaction would be. But when I turned to Ezekiel today, I suddenly was forced to engage it in a new way. And so I encourage others to do the same and to just remember that as dark as sometimes these conversations can get, God is still here. God wants us to work together to to build a better world. And so there is hope for the future. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Court. Have a great one. Peace.